I see you, yeah you, flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases, a one-size-fits-all quick fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think, one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. So we've been... (laughs) So we've been in this sermon series, Why Am I Here, talking about the kingdom. Why am I here? We question this a lot. And realistically, we've been, we've been preaching about the Sermon on the Mount and all of it. And it was Jesus coming to say, this is why I'm here. And everything he did to say why he was here was to let you know why you're here. Like he was establishing the, the mission, vision for the church forevermore. It is... The hardest thing, because we, especially in the business concept and minds that we have, churches all the time, every year, we got to get a mission, we got to get a vision, we got to go. And he's like, I already gave it to you. Let's get in the Word. It's right there. It's easy. It's real simple if you break down what I'm trying to tell you, what I'm trying to undo in you, what I'm positioning you to do. And then even in our own understanding and thinking, we can kind of mess it up a little bit. We talked about that, how the Beatitudes have made us think we're supposed to be broken, poor, and uh, lowly in spirit and meek. And he's like, no, that's just the posture I want to meet you at because then I can take you to a new place. Then it's not all about you. It's about what I'm doing in you. In the wilderness, he, he told him, I give you the power to get wealth. So when you get it, don't think you did it. I position you to do these things. That's when you meet him and you let go and you're like, wow, look at the doors God's opening because he trusts me. Look at the people he's connecting with. When you speak that this morning, I receive it, Crystal, but it was seasons where I was like, I don't want to do this. And God's like, I know, that's why we're going to do this. I gotta, you got to let go of some things that you think you can do or think it, you can do it your way better because then I'll show you how I want to do it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today as we're getting further into this sermon on the Mount and a lot of the things. And as I was reading some of the stuff this week that we're going to talk about in the beginning, this thought that I'm going to have is not what was at my forefront. Why? Because we can read the scripture time, sometimes, and if you're a preacher or you've been in church a long time, you have your sermon. It, there's a certain scripture, you say it, oh, I heard that sermon. So you're already wired that way, right? And one of the hardest things for me to undo sometimes is I get going down a path. Why? Because my dad did it, I've done it, I've experienced a lot of preaching in my life, so it's easy to just go to that path and go that way. So, as I was reading... Something else just jumped off of the page at me and really connected, I think, with the heart of what he's talking about in these next couple of passages are. So I want to start in Matthew 5.48, which is going to be kind of snug in the middle of where we're going to read today. But there was a statement that Jesus says in the midst of this, and then I'm going to read some passages from John to connect to the heart of it. So Matthew 5.48 It says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
That's about the heaviest scripture in the word, right? We just talked about how perfect people are. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, sounds really daunting, right? But what have we talked about the posture of Jesus always was? Was it accusational or invitational? Okay, thank you. I'm just making sure y'all been with me a couple of weeks. Or I feel like the whole time we've been here, I feel like that's been the declaration since day one. Like, Jesus was invitational. It was his posture in every moment. Even the ones he was griping at. Even when he got to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he was trying to invite them into the truth, but they couldn't even get over it. They couldn't see it right in front of their eyes. He was not accusational. It was always invitational. You have to know from Jesus' posture and how he spoke and who he spoke to, you have to read that through that lens. This is an invitation to the perfection of the Father, not an accusation of how you compare against him. That's kingdom foundation. We talked about authority last week. The invitation is to come alongside and align with him, and you're walking towards perfection. And when you walk in his name, you're walking in the name of perfection, knowing full well that until your ticket gets punched and you get to the other side, you will never be perfect. It's a beautiful testament to who God is and the relationship he invites us into. Y'all with me? So then if you turn to John uh, 5, 19 through 20, I want to read this scripture as well. John 5, 19 through 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. There's that Honda reference again. But only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Later in his ministry, Jesus says, there will be those who come after me who do greater things than me in my name. This is that same invitation. Why? Because he sees what the Father sees. He's aligned with him so much that when what he sees to do, what he, when that moment of doing comes into space, we talked about the being and doing, he is so in his being that his doing flows out of it. He just does it. Why? Because the Father told him to do it. Skip down to 24. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In other words, when you align with the Father, the death around you, the end around you, the eventual ending of all the things, the chaos that's around you is not what you see. You are walking towards the perfection. You're walking in life. I want to read this last little bit, and then we're going to get right into it. John 8, 37 and 38. 8, 37 and 38. It says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet ye seek to, yet you, I'm not reading the King James, sorry, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. There's a big F, and a little f. 
I see, I speak what I have seen my father do. And you do what you have heard from your father. In other words, I say what has already been exampled for me. You do what's been told to you. Okay. We're going to get into this. And it's not going to be where you think we're at. Because this word was nowhere in there. But it's the posture thing. Today we're going to title today's sermon, Check Your Motives. Check Your Motives. Because as we begin to go further into the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about a couple of things right here. He talks about oaths. Oaths. He talks about forgiveness, or in my uh, English standard version, which has it nicely um, blocked off into different titles and headings. I don't think Jesus did this, said subtitles. This is what I'm going to talk about now. This is what I'm going to talk about. But it makes it really easy, right? When we're reading it, it makes it broke down. Retaliation is the next one. Love your enemies and then giving to the needy. As I begin to read through all of these, there is a word that comes into my spirit that speaks to what Jesus is addressing, and that is humility. Everything he's talking about is humbling ourselves. If you think about it from the oath perspective, right, it's what we know. I know this is right. Man, I get in arguments with my kids more times than not because they think they know everything. And I love those moments because I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is? Okay, I mean, I'm just 44, and I've only lived this thing out a little bit longer than you, but that's fine. And in that moment, I swear on everything that's holy that I'm right. And I'm like, nope, you know why? Because I know I'm right. I ain't got to swear, I ain't given, there is a humility in knowing. Sometimes I'm not so humble. <laughs> I'm still working on me. But there is a humility that comes that you don't have to create an oath there because you know the humbleness of just that moment. Because what happens in my son when he comes back to me and says, there is suddenly a humble spirit about him. And if not, I'll humble him real quick. Because if he comes back with a little sass, I'm like, <laughs> you were wrong. Again, it's okay. I'm not keeping score. But if I was, you're losing. Isn't it great to be a parent sometimes? You're telling me that our Heavenly Father sometimes not like that with you. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, you know, God just was talking to me. He said, shut up. And like, he said, shut up? I was like, that's how he talks to me. Because sometimes I need to be told to shut up. I get a little big for my britches, think I got it figured out. And he's like, shut up. You're losing. He humbles me in that moment. So it's okay for him to talk to me like that, because I needed that, that check in the moment. But humility, I want to talk about humbleness, because there is a fine line between humility and humiliation. See, people want to connect the two because they come from the same root word. But realistically, it all comes back to the one word that I think we've spoken a lot over the last two years in here. When we talked about the Ten Commandments, we brought this word out time and time again. When we talk about why Jesus came to do what he came to do, we talk about this word time and time again. The difference is value. One adds to value, one takes away from value, and the purpose is drastically different. 
So I'm going to take you down the Merriam-Webster rabbit hole that you know your pastor loves to dive into when we start looking at words and definitions. I begin to look at this. So humiliate means this, to reduce someone to a lower position in one's own eyes or or others' eyes to make someone ashamed or embarrassed. Going back to the value, humiliation is at a point where you want to undervalue somebody below you or they are undervalued in the eyes of somebody else. There is a status quo, there is a line, and in order to eliminate or push them down further than that, humiliation occurs. We let the air out of their tires. Humble, humility, humility means this, freedom from pride or arrogance, a state of being humble. Now, humble, if you look at that definition, it says reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of submission. We talked last week about the authority. Humbleness is exactly that. It is submission to the authority of God. And then when we understand the Ten Commandments, we understand what we've been called to do. Love the Lord God with everything you have, and then love who next? Your neighbor, it's not the people who live next door to you, it's not the people you choose to set by in church. It is everybody that you will come in contact, no matter where you're at. If they are in your vicinity at some point during the day, they are your neighbor. He's preaching to Jewish people who are currently have a whole other country residing in their land and controlling them. Once again, you've got to understand what Jesus is talking about, who he's talking to, and how he's talking to them. He is expressing to them, yes, even those Roman soldiers that are over there, that look really angry at you right now, that are taking your money, that have taken your land, that have demeaned you and humiliated you, you are supposed to be submissive to even that. Humility, humble. It also means to destroy the power of, independence, or prestige of. Because this is the first encounter that we have, or at least it should be, is the moment we meet Jesus for the first time, regardless of where you're at in age, he wants to destroy the power that you have on your own life. And that's like, ugh, this God guy just really just, I've done pretty good, God. And he's like, mm, could have done better. Because you have to understand the power, the independence, the authority, the prestige that you have up to that point will always pale in comparison to what we talked about last week, the author. His story, his narrative for you will always be better. It may not be a short story. It may not be a rom-com. But I can guarantee you there is victory at the end of it. There is always a better ending. There is always a preparation for an act two, for a sequel. Why? Because every series, every moment is to position you for something else. This is the ultimate space of humility. In other words, I'm going to put two words, I'm going to put a couple words at the end of these definitions for humility or for humble. Reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of submission to him. Destroy the power, independence, or prestige of me. 
this is the ultimate kingdom platform. Humility. Being humble. So then when we talk about checking our motives, motive, and this is the last word I'm going to define, then we're going to get into the word. Motive means something that causes a person to act. Or the causing of motion. So now when we begin to think about the word, when we begin to think about the church, when we begin to think about what he's trying to do in the earth that has not been done, because that's why he came, right? That's why he did the things he did. That's why his fathers connected him to see what the father sees and do what the father does because it's not being done. You understand that? Like Jesus didn't come to do what everybody else was already doing. So then we have to understand the way he's doing it, why he's doing it. There's purpose in it. It's the way we should be aligning with. And for some reason, we love to go back and become very pharisaical about some things. So let's think about the motives of the Pharisees and Jesus. Do we find in Scripture moments of humiliation at the hands of the Pharisees and Sadducees? We could say yes to that, right? Do we ever find a moment with Jesus where humiliation was his focus. Never. See, right there, I'm talking the fine line because they're both listening to the same word. They're both operating off the same manual. So what occurred along the way where humiliation became what humility was supposed to be? Y'all with me? Maybe? Okay, let's walk. We're going to get into back into the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. So the first one is oaths. And I don't have these scriptures here if you have your Bible or please write it down so you can read it when you get home. And if some of you have take notes or you have your phone, but I want to encourage you after we have these sermons, I want you to go back and eat this stuff at home. I want you to read through this stuff. I want God to minister to you because your personal journey, your life is different than mine. So there's times you'll be reading through this like, Oh my goodness, Pastor Anthony didn't point that out, but that's exactly what I needed today. That's the beauty. I want to say this, Yvette, uh, yesterday in uh, our prayer time and afterwards we were sharing some things. Your life right now is a beautiful expression of doing what you hear your father say and do. She was talking, if you don't know, she is an artist and she's um, been doing some artwork and it's really a new place for her where she's just saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do next, right? Just ultimately like, okay, he gives a scripture and she starts. So she said in her, next, her newest art piece, there was a scripture that was given to her. And she's like, God, I don't feel connected to that scripture anymore. Why do you want me to do that? Okay, I'll just start it. And then what was a couple weeks later, a friend of hers came and said, I want you to do a piece of work for me. And she goes, okay. She goes, I don't know the scripture, but I know kind of what it says, and I think it's this. And if that's like... That's the one I've already started to work on. Like God is listening or talking to you if you'll listen. But it is really getting to the place of humility, like not my way, not my will, but thine, Lord. Like I want to really tap into what you want to create and the space you want to. And we're going to talk about that. So oaths, right off the bat, this can be something that we think about. And I think we've wrongly used it because I was told, see right there, you're not supposed to swear. Anybody ever got taught that lesson out of this one? The Bible says, don't swear. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. See, we find uh, back in Scripture, we find that even 
God swore. Yes, in Exodus, he swore that he would, it says that he swore that he would take the children of Israel through the wilderness. Uh, he swore to Abraham, when Abraham went to kill Isaac, that he would bless him in that space. There was, and he even swore on his own name right there, right? That's pretty, what else is he going to swear on? He swore, the Lord swore on his own name. I love that. You, Anyways, but shall perform the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So I want to talk about this first place is our own humiliation. An oath or a place of swearing is where we get ourselves into trouble, right? First, it's what we think we know. If you ever swore, I swear that this is right, and then you get proved wrong. Anybody? Just me? Yeah, that's the worst, right? You like you think you got it all figured out? I swear this is right, and you get proved wrong. What does that do? Invalidates maybe everything you say, depending on the company you keep. If this is your first encounter with somebody and you threw all your chips on the table, right? I'm all in on this one. I swear that that is pink. And it's not. We get in a place of our own humiliation being our hindrance. Why? Because we want to put value into our words more than is required. Or we're in people that in order to validate or bring value to ourselves, we have to say things like that. Because why? We need them to value us. This gets back to the whole premise of who Jesus was. I'm not looking for your value. I'm the most valuable thing ever to walk on this earth, and you can't see it, but I don't need you to. You're going to demean it, undervalue it, and you're even going to hang it on a cross to die. Because you don't understand the value. But guess what? I'm going to come on back, remind you who I am, remind you who you are, so that we can go make a difference. Our words sometimes, we can get in a place where we begin to humiliate ourselves. And what he says at the end, James even talks about this, allowing your yes to be your yes and your no to be your no. What he's speaking to this group of people is you ain't got to swear anymore. When you get tapped into the Father, when he tells you to do something, it's a yes. When he tells you not to do it, it's a no. And you don't have to explain that. You don't have to agree with anybody. There is a connection piece. Maybe the biggest part person you got to get over, Yvette, is yourself, right? I'm trying to talk myself out of this. I swore I would never do this. You ever got in a place where you swore you were never going to do something and God did it anyways? <laughs> Let me tell you a funny story. Morgan swore she would never marry a pastor. She swore she'd never marry a sailor. <laughs> oh. He loves it when you make declarations that you know that he knows you can't keep. You know how many people though still walk in those declarations and those oaths that they've made because they refuse to allow God to bring them out of them? Why? It's become their identity. I made that promise. I made that swear. And he's like, you did, but I didn't. But you cannot even tie into who I've called you to be because that's all you're ever going to be. There are things we hold on to, promises we made, things that we swore, and now we cannot listen to the yes of the Lord and the no of the Lord because we're stuck where we want to be. I made that declaration to you the first time I walked into this space. 
Somebody asked me, how long, you know, how long are you going to be here for? We were only here for like an interim in the beginning. I was like, I'm here as long as God tells me to be here. If I ever get in a place where, I can, where I'm telling God I can't leave, watch out. We may be here a day, we may be here 30 years, I don't know. But I want my yes to be my yes and my no to be my no. I want every day as your pastor when I walk in here, know that you got my yes. Because when you align yourself with the Father, if the church would align themselves with the Father, all of our yeses align. We've got too many yeses and nos, pluses and minuses in the church right now. We're all on different frames. Why? Because we're chasing after what we promise, what we want to do. He's trying to strip all that down and say, if you just listen to the Father. If you would do what you hear the Father say instead of do what you've been told. Because those aren't always the best. Oaths. How do they cause our own humiliation? That's the space we get stuck in. The next one I want to talk about is retaliation. I know this is the other one. These are the ones that mom used to preach these sermons out of us too, right? They always fit at the right time when you're punching your brother or you got punched. Just turn the other cheek. Yeah, you're not the one with the bruised cheek right now. Or the golden rule was always the good one that comes out of this. I love how we've reduced the Sermon on the Mount to just some parenting tools. But it really is getting us back to the heart of who we're called to be. Who do we love first? God. So we're listening, we're loving, we're leaning on him. And the second is our neighbor as ourself. The value. Receive value, have value, give value. Without losing value. So retaliation. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was out of the Old Testament. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. See, this is a reference to Old Testament scripture. In Exodus, it says, if, you, if someone loans you their coat, you have to return it to, it to them before night. Because that was their covering from the cold. What did he say in here? Challenges what the law said, right? Oh. And Jesus said, I did not come to wreck the law, I came to be the law. I came to fulfill it. So then you got to begin to look at the motives, look at who he's talking to, look at how he's saying it, why he's saying it. If he were telling me, well, back then it said I'm supposed to bring my cloak, the cloak back to him. And Jesus says, it's bigger than that. What he's saying is, do you trust me? If you give your cloak to somebody, do you not think I'll give you a cloak? This scripture just goes line to line. A little bit later, what's he say to you? If you're looking for things to be fed, what you're wearing, all that. If you seek after those things, you're only going to get what you think you deserve. But if you seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all those things will be added into. He is in a place of releasing them. There is no humiliation in what you don't have when you're tapped into the one who can give you anything. Your humility does not make way for humiliation when you're searching for value in the right eye. Because that's what would happen. Anybody remember back in school? Somebody come up and popped you one right now, and you're just like, man, how much street cred would you lose? Woo! You'd be humiliated until the Lord comes back. <laughs> Y'all remember little Anthony, man? He always used to get whooped. He got more wedgies than I could imagine. And he just... He'd push him back in and let him pull him right back out. 
Sorry, I'm just real practical here. If that's, that's not the way Jesus preached that. But we can be in a state of humiliation if we're worried about what other people think. So then we cannot hear that scripture the way Jesus intended it. Why? Because we're worried about humiliation instead of being invited into humility. Have you ever given respect and honor to a person who was not worthy of it and watched their reaction? may not happen instantly, but I can guarantee you if somebody has wronged you and you did nothing but give them right in return, the moment they walk away from you, they have to evaluate who you are and why you did what you did because they didn't get what they deserved. Isn't this the posture of Jesus? He came not, though, not so that you would get what you deserved. He came what, so you would get what you're worthy of. I was talking to somebody recently, and they have some, the family issues just never had a real good parent in their life. I said, I struggle with that, and I, I have a hard time having a relationship with them. I said, one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do is learn to give honor to a dishonorable parent. Why do you do it? Because that says to. And if you had a bad parent, one that's not worthy of honor, the moment you read to honor your mother and father, why did he tell you to honor your mother and father? Because if they did nothing else for you, they brought you into this world. They may have wrecked the boat from the moment you took your first breath till now. They may have done everything wrong, but the fact that you're here right now, you can honor that they played a part in putting you here. That's why he said honor your mother and father, because if nothing else, there's people in your life that you're like, I ain't honoring that person. They have nothing in my, part of my life but just to be a thorn in my side. My boss, I don't have to honor him. I'll just change jobs. That's why he's trying to get that basic of honor, humility, the connection, the submission to that one person. Because if they did everything wrong, you can still honor them for the one thing they did right. So in this place of retaliation, what he's saying is, you don't respond in reaction. You don't respond in emotion. Why? Because you're not worried about the humiliation that's going to occur. I want to put you in a place that when you impact a moment, when you do what I tell you to do, when you turn the other cheek, people take notice. People begin to observe. And when you walk out of the situation, they're left with a lasting memory of something different. Humility makes an impact. Humiliation never will. And if, and, we go, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. This is a direct discussion about the Roman troops around them. Why? Because back in those days, the Roman soldiers would come up to you and say, hey, carry my stuff. We're going to go walking. They didn't want to carry their bags. So they would just get Jewish people to carry their bags for them. And we're like, we're going to walk a mile. Yep, we're going to go too. Ever heard, I want to walk them, go the extra mile? Yeah, that's not so, like, whoa, that doesn't sound like a good time anymore, does it? You got to go the extra mile. Yeah, carrying somebody else's bags. That's what Jesus did. He walked a long way carrying your cross. Oof. See, this is the beauty of Jesus' message. He never once challenged us to do something that he's not going to walk through and do. 
There's so many people out in this world today that are going to say a lot of things, and you're sitting back watching for the fruit to multiply, and like, ugh. And you can speak it, but I don't see it. There is one thing you can never say about Jesus. There was never a moment that he didn't do exactly what he said he was going to do. And he could have done it and humiliated everyone. But the humility of his spirit was never that way. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. It just opens up in humility to listen to what the Father's saying. If you've been walking down the street and you encounter homeless person, or, and you just feel in your spirit, give them what you got in your pocket. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? What's he going to use it for? That's not humility. And I'm not calling you out just because you had the uh, intestinal fortitude to say what you said. You just voiced what everybody else has been thinking. I've done it. The worst is when you got a big bill in your pocket. Holy. I got a $100 bill for my birthday one time. Man, I knew the pair of shoes I wanted. The next day, I forgot to leave it at home. Get a $100 bill, don't put it in your pocket. God's going to use it. I know. I've seen him do it. Walking down the street, Newport News, when I worked at the shipyard over there, encountered a homeless man in a wheelchair. Man, do you have any change on you? And I'm like, ooh. No, but I'll run here in the 7-Eleven. I'll get some money out. So I was okay giving a 20. I'd take two steps for the 7-Eleven. God said, give him that 100. I'm like, <laughs> but there's ATM right there, God. I can get it real quick. You'll be right here. <laughs> Ooh, the hardest yeses are the ones you've already assigned somewhere else. I took two more steps. I didn't make it in the 7-Eleven, I tell you. And this is, sometimes we hear these stories like, oh, look at Pastor giving a $100 bill. I still got white knuckles from handing that to him. You know what, I, I just leaned down and I said, he was blind, he couldn't even see. And I, I put it in his hand and I said, be careful. It's a $100 bill, instantly, wept like a baby. I saw him two weeks later different part of town. He was over on another place. I walked into a McDonald's with a friend of mine, and he was there. He remembered me. He didn't remember me because if he remembered me, he'd remember the guy that didn't want to give him the money because I wanted a pair of shoes. He remembered the yes that I gave because God told me to, begrudgingly and all, but my humility, my humbleness in that moment, even though I didn't want to, he remembered. He didn't come up and ask me for money. He told his friend about what had happened. Because that's what's in our mind, too. Like, oh, here he comes again. Give him a $100 bill. He's going to want 200 next time. It's been moments like that. God had to reveal some things. Get out of your own way. I got those pair of shoes. You know why? Because I really wanted them. But it all comes back to this place of 
You don't have to retaliate when you know your father's got you covered. When you leave it in his hands, you can spend a long time trying to get back at people. Pastor, they deserve it. You know what they actually deserve? For you to pray for them, not at them. For you to do things for them, not at them. Sometimes for you to just leave them. The next one is, goes right in line, love your enemies. Ugh. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. See, this was not scriptural. There's no place in the scripture where it says you'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is what was coming out of teaching based on who was encountered in their land. The Romans were there, so it was being spoken by church people. I know this don't happen in America today, that you should love Republicans and hate Democrats or vice versa. That you should love Christians and hate Muslims. Um, you should love yourself and hate everybody. <laughs> that doesn't happen, right? No, that doesn't happen. We can get really quick doing this. Why? Because we begin to justify the people that we have hard hearts for. And if they're different from what God said, you know how quick it happens? Women who have abortions. Instantly, they're the enemy, and you don't see what pushed them to that place. They're not my neighbor, because I would never find myself in an abortion clinic. They're not my neighbor because I would never reside in a Muslim country. See how quickly it can happen. And it's bad things. It's things that we justify in our mind. And that's what he's saying. Even the people that are residing in our country right now and holding us hostage, making us carry their stuff, killing us, you gotta love them. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that everywhere, I'm telling you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, in all of the things, what's the one thing he comes back to that you got to be perfect at? It ain't perfect at your prayer life. It ain't perfect at church attendance. It ain't perfect at your spiritual gifts. It's your love. Because if I can connect you to love and I can challenge you to love people that are not worthy of love, then and only then can I allow you to tap into a whole nother level of relationship and impact. Suddenly you're not worried about the humiliation anymore of loving somebody that's not worthy. You want to be the difference maker in that moment. 
you want to be more like Jesus, say, I'm here. I want to make a difference. Real quick, I want to talk about this last one, although we're going into chapter 6, but I think this is the one space where we have to be careful. So we've talked about the humiliation of ourselves and how we get away from that. We've talked about how others will humiliate us, but I think if we think this through, this can really quickly happen that our good works can humiliate others. Giving to the needy. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever seen that celebrity, that man just really puts it out there? Look what I'm doing for this person. You know what they've done in that moment? Let's look back at what humiliation was. To reduce someone to a lower position in one's own eyes or other eyes. Oh, look at this old sad so-and-so I'm doing this for. You better be lucky that I have a lot of money and a lot of clout. I could have just walked by you on the street and left you alone. It happens even in the church. At what we're doing. I'm, I, I got really convicted about this. Rick, I began to think about it. I was like, ooh, how many times do we talk about how much we send out or all that stuff? What are we really doing? It's an invitation. I want people to know that we're actually doing something. But I never want it to become a declaration of, look at me. That's the heart of our food pantry and clothing closet. I love the fact that people can come in, they never they don't need their social security number or any of that. We don't ostracize that. We don't put it out there. It is just, there's been such moments of connection and invitation and relationship. Why? Because they're not a number. They just got to come in and be a part of something. I see people come into our church like, man, I, I felt like I was here and it was my first week. That's the way it should be. There should never be a point like, oh, you're needy. You need me. No, we all need him. So then whatever your need is, is is not a declaration of what you don't have. It's an invitation to the one who has everything that all of us need. The humility is to him. So there's no humiliation in what I don't have. Go read the book of Ephesians. The whole first chapter is about you finding your new identity into the son of God that you have been invited, adopted to be. Child of God, daughter of God. That's the invitation. That's the declaration of your value, the image you've been created in. And the enemy's going to do everything he can to distract you and deter you from that. Why? Because he wants you needy. But the moment you have access to the provider, you're never going to be needy again. You may need what you want, but I guarantee you'll always have what you need. The humility is shifting. The humbleness is shifting. That I destroy the power, the independence, or prestige of me. And I reflect or express or offer in a spirit of submission to him. I think this is just that place. That I think it's the place that we preach in church a lot. People are waiting for somebody to walk it out. 
Because the moment we say we're a Christian, we're identifying with that. And then they watch it. They data collect. why, but that scripture in James has been in my spirit for the last couple of months. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. I really prayed over that. God, what does that mean? What are you really trying to say? And Yvette, you've been a testimony to exactly what he's saying. I want you to be so tapped in when I tell you to do something, you just do it. Because you trust me, but more importantly, you trust the people I'm doing it for. You love your neighbor that I'm going to do something for through you as much as you love yourself. As much as you love your time, as much as you love your money, as much as you love the platform you got, as much as you love all the things. Do you trust me with your yes? And for some of you today, he's asking you, do you trust me with your no? You've said yes to a lot of things for a long time. But your no will be just as powerful as your yes. When you begin to say no to that person looking back in your, at the mirror who continually devalues you, Yet that no comes with a yes. When you say no to that reaction, that response of emotion, know that that no comes with a yes. That's the hard part today is learning that every yes comes with a no and every no comes with a There's a lot of people that gave a yes to Jesus, but couldn't say no to all the other things. The reason the terminology uses, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you give me the ultimate yes. I'm thankful today I don't have to give him the yes that Jesus gave me. Thankful I don't have to carry that cross. Because you know what? In the eyes of everybody else, Jesus was humiliated. Word says he not only took on our sin, he took on our pain, but he took on our shame. In other words, to say, I'll take the humiliation so you don't have to. I'll show you the posture of someone who cannot be humiliated because I'm humble to do what my father said and what my father does. That's the invitation today. If you're listening to the one who gives the best yeses, then you'll have no problem with the no. Father, we thank you today.
We thank you that you're still talking. We thank you for the moments that we read your word and spend time with you, that we just hear your love, your grace, and your mercy pour into us. That we feel the value expressed over us. Father, I pray that it's in that space that we would humbly lean into you. That we would begin to ask you those very things. God, is this a yes you would say or is this a no? And trust you in that moment. Let us see, be so connected to your voice that we can have the impact in people's lives that you've called us to have that we can share with them the most important decision, the most important yes we ever said. And that was our yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.